So let's step back. Let's pretend it's 1998 and we're going to talk about historical memory. Why do you think Weimar and Weimar life has uh, had this, I don't want to say outsized, maybe it's right-sized, but had this influence on sort of the American North Atlantic imagination of early 20th century gay life. I feel like if there's any moment between 1900 and 1950 where people think of gay life, it's going to probably be Weimar Berlin. Uh, or Weimar Germany generally, and then Weimar Berlin, like very specifically. So what, what do you think that is as, as someone who writes on these historically? I mean, cabaret, right, <laughs> is probably the first reason. Chris, Christopher Isherwood, who um, is undoubtedly one of the more influential sort of English language novelists, spends a lot of the 20s and early 30s in Berlin experiencing this culture. So I do think it, it, he, more than any individual person, I think Christopher Isherwood is someone who created this sort of myth, or I, I don't want to say myth, but image of gay Weimar. Um, that said, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of, sort of factual or structural reasons why we would think of Weimar as this particularly utopian moment in queer history, um, what, you know, reasons that we've talked about. I think another sort of um, part of the puzzle that maybe gets lost sometimes, um, and this isn't just a gay issue, right? This is, I think, the entire uh, image of Weimar as the cradle of sort of 20th century um, modernism uh, is the reason that a lot of the influential people in Weimar wind up, you know, fleeing abroad in the early 1930s. And many of them wind up in the U.S., right? And they have a huge impact on U.S. culture. Um, so everyone from sort of Albert Einstein to Theodore Adorno to Thomas Mann wind Billy up. Billy Wilder, in I mean, like all of these people go right. to Hollywood too. Right. I mean, um, you know, Gropius of of um, Bauhaus, uh, the right Bauhaus um, winds up. So all the you know, you can just go on and on and on, and and it it you know extends far down the list into to people who have I think a tremendous impact on intellectual life in the U.S. but aren't necessarily famous today. Um, so it. I think that also has a really marked impression on how queer people think about Weimar and how it was ultimately sort of received here. Klaus Mann, who I've mentioned and was basically one of the first out gay authors in modern history, he winds up in the U.S. He actually winds up in the U.S. Army during World War II. So, yeah, I, I'd say that those are two of the main reasons. And then, and then one sort of maybe final reason why today we keep returning to Weimar is that it's seen as the birthplace of modern gay politics, right? This notion that sexuality is an integral part of your character, and that's why it shouldn't be criminalized. Um, that, you know, we can trace back to figures like Magnus Hirschfeld and Kurt Hiller um, and other activists in this period. So, you know, I think there are a number of these reasons why the Weimar period has really stayed with us. Um, and we could also get into why it sort of has become a real, I think, lodestar for for the sort of democratic imagination, both for its failures and its opportunities. Let's talk about that. Let's stay on Weimar yeah. um, for a second. And I'd also like to talk for a little bit about the exiles before we get into the Nazi yeah. period. Yeah. So, but 
uh, Sam, what were you going to say about that with Weimar? Oh, just so basically, you know, there's this somewhat flawed notion that Weimar is Germany's first experience with democracy. And that I, I say flawed because, in fact, the German Empire had a lot of democratic institutions. It's one of the first states to introduce. Uh, universal male suffrage um, for a national parliament. And there's a really wonderful book uh, about democracy in the imperial era by uh, Peggy Anderson called Practicing Democracy, and it looks at electoral practices in, in imperial Germany. But that notwithstanding, it's still an empire, it still has a Kaiser. And so Weimar is really seen as this first flourishing of democracy in a country that was perceived as being autocratic, primarily. Um, and because of that, I think there's both a sense of the opportunity of it, right? It, it introduced one of the most progressive constitutions in the world at the time in 1919. Uh, it was a nation created by social or a, a state created by social Democrats, which was also quite remarkable and new. Um, remember, this is really the, you know, Germany is sort of the birthplace of social democracy. Um, it had the world's oldest and largest uh, social democratic party, um, and so seeing it in power was was quite novel. Uh, it had faced down these, you know, reactionary forces from the military, from far right paramilitaries, the Freikorps, uh, so on and so forth.